0: Hello, everyone, and such a warm welcome to this segment of Justice Week, which is titled Healing the Wounds of War. I'm co-hosting today. My name is Molly Rowan Leach, and I'm co-hosting with Philip Helmick, and I'll be continuing to be your host this week, Justice Week, which is a part of the Summer of Peace Summit that runs through International Day of Peace, September 21st. We know that we are perched in a profound moment in time, of course, and and that justice is transforming in this very moment in our collective conscious. Um, And this week so far, I've I've had the honor of hosting Arun Gandhi and uh, Dominic Barter of Restorative Circles, and we seem to be uncovering some very common themes throughout the week so far, which will continue to emerge. Just a few notes about the call today. Remember that you can access all the recordings for 48 hours after the session itself. Then uh, I strongly encourage you to consider opting in and upgrading to access the entire summer's programs. I believe that Alice Walker wrote a poem specifically for Summer of Peace, and that will give you access to that just by registering for this free series. I also would like to thank Philip Helmick and the SHIFT Network for making this very important summit possible and free to a global audience. Those of you joining from the webcast, uh, please remember you can submit your questions that you might have via um, via the webcast module, and we'll look at that throughout the call. And you also will have, as a live caller or Skyper, um, we'll have time at about quarter of the hour for uh, live questions. And then we'll wrap near the top of the hour with Making It Real, which uh, Libby and John will be offering some thoughts uh, on how to integrate the sharing that they share into our own lives. So without further ado, um, I'm just honored again to welcome our very special guests, Libby Hoffman and John Cocker of FAMBLE Talk International. Libby's also with Catalyst for Peace. I'd like to say a few words about their very significant background and then we'll go right in. Uh Philip will start out the conversation. Uh, Libby Hoffman has been active in peace building for 25 years. She's been in wide-ranging areas of peace building and training. She's been a professor, program director, consultant, and funder. She's the director and founder of Catalyst for Peace, which is a Portland, Maine uh based private foundation. And again, the film Famble Talk, uh, was introduced last year at the South by Southwest Festival. It's an incredibly internationally, um, acclaimed film, incredible in its illumination of the violence in Sierra Leone and the redemption and forgiveness that occurred. John, uh, Cocker, of course, stars in that film and it's a deep look and a tearjerker for sure into um, a, a very new model of justice, an old yet new model of justice. Now, John founded and has led the implanta- Im- implementation of the Famble Talk program, which is on the ground since, uh, since its inception in 2007. First as the founding executive director of the Forum of Conscience, and currently as the executive director of Famble Talk International Sierra Leone. Each of these people have so much more depth to their background, but in light of, of the ground we will cover today together, I'd just like to um, pause and honor them and honor the people of Sierra Leone right now. And now uh, to welcome my co-host, Philip Helmick of the SHIFT Network. Philip?
1: Wonderful. Molly, thank you. And Libby and John, thank you so much for being with us. I... I asked Molly to join this call because, um, as you know, I lived in Sierra Leone from 1985 to 89, uh, serving with the Peace Corps, and got to go back extensively between '98 and um, through 2005. And and I have to say, um, Sierra Leone taught me so much, of so much power and beauty that I learned from people in Sierra Leone. And it was just heartbreaking to see that the war just destroyed virtually everything in the country. Uh, leaving not only the physical scars, but also emotional and spiritual ones. And it, it added a, a level of, of desperation on, on on my friends in the villages, on the country, that was already, prior, prior to the war, was already at the bottom of the global poverty index. And yet, in spite of that level of individual and collective desperation, um John it's clear that you saw that there was so much more value there. Um it's something that I've seen and I'd love to hear you put into word you know what you saw in in Sierra Leone the positive potential and also in the people. So John could you could you describe a little bit of that please? Yeah,
2: thank you very much for having me. Um I'll try to speak louder because it's really with in Sierra Leone. Um, the war in Sierra Leone came about in 1991, but at the end of the war, some of us were very clear that there is something that the world did not take away from us, which, in my opinion, is the power of forgiveness. Even during the war, at the height of the war, there were still Sierra Leoneans who opened their doors to others to come in and live with them. Before the war, we used to live as one big family in Sierra Leone. Your child is my child, my mother is your mother. So, what the war did not take away from us is that collective family spirit and the resentment to forgive. So, even though some of us were struggling, so... document what was happening during the conflict. But we clearly see that in the people we talk to, that yes, we all are aware that what was happening in Sierra Leone is not something that we actually desire. It's something we can go beyond, but we need to sit together and talk. And I was very clear that until we sit together as a family, it will be difficult to address the wrongs that led to the war. So that was part of the reason why uh, me and I worked together to establish family talk.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. Beautiful. Th- um, thank you. Thank you, John. Talking about the, the family spirit, the community spirit, I, I know that was very powerful when I was living in the village at Leone. It's a deep sense of connection That we had there. Um, um, Libby do you want to do you want to take off um, elaborate on what you saw what John just described?
3: Well one of the things that struck me most when I first met John um, you know was first of all how how clearly he saw the um, the substance and the cultural wealth um, that was in Sierra Leone, but I was also struck by um, how little that had been tapped into by the international community at that point in its efforts to support sierra leone 's rebuilding after the war um, and one of the things, and maybe John can speak more specifically to this, um, but you know Sierra uh, and, and the impact of it in the context of Sierra Leone, you know but there had been a special court. That had prosecuted or had indicted the 13 people deemed most responsible for the war. And there had been a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that had attempted to gather the stories and document um, what happened in the war. Um, But neither one of those, the majority of Sierra Leoneans felt that those um, didn't touch their day to day lives. And the reality was that you had people living next door to each other in the villages. Um, and, you know, one person might have uh, killed the other person's mother or amputated their arm or burned down their house, and they had never talked about it. And so um, this really fractured um, community uh, wasn't being served by the international community's efforts um, to, to help Sierra Leone recover, and what I was struck, so struck by from John's experience um, was his vision of the way in which Sierra Leone's culture um, could be a real resource for for healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 one of the things, you know, sort of the starting point for um, for Fumble Talk was this idea that if you want uh, that that the people most impacted by the war, um, can and should be the ones to design and lead their own experience of healing and justice and reconciliation after the war. And that a process for doing that could only be sustainable and effective if it was grounded in asking the people themselves what they wanted Mm. and what resources they already had to be able to do it, and how they wanted somebody else to walk with them and support them in that
0: process. Um, Libby uh, and John both, actually, John, maybe you could you could take take this first. Um, on that note, what where what was the line of cultivation? Where what was the starting point? Where you, I mean, we know. Um, that, that it, you can't just walk in and, and create something. Like you're saying, there has to be a connection and a cultivation and a, and an empowerment perhaps of, of the people knowing that they, it's in their hands. And so, how, how did it begin, John? And then maybe Libby, you can, can dive in too with that.
2: Can you come again, please?
1: Um, yes, um, uh, John, Molly, Molly, yeah. Molly, go ahead.
0: Uh, is, I think he was asking um, to ask the question yeah. again. Is that the case? Okay. Yeah. And thank you so yeah. much, everyone, yeah. today. We have, obviously, um, it's so great to have John with us all the way from Sierra Leone. So just hang tight with us as we have a little bit of a line pause. Um, so, John... What I'd love to hear from you is um, the moment um, and, and the time of cultivation with the community on the ground. If you might share a little glimpse into the story of, uh, of how it all started. I, b- I believe, did the work start, um, well, I think it was in 2007 that it, it was founded, but um, is there a story around following that line with the people of knowing that this was the time, and and how did that work?
2: Okay, thank you. Um, First, we started two consultations. We had meetings in all the districts where we invited um, stakeholders to sit together. First, we asked them Do you want to reconcile? How do you want to go about it? What exists within your tradition? And how can we work with you? And within the first and second consultations, it was clear that the people who were in attendance were very clear that those who were indicted by the special court, according to them, they were not the people who bear the greatest responsibility for the acts that who come in their community. They see their neighbors who burned down their only cut by their neighbour who burned down their house, their nephew who killed their, their father. So they wanted to engage with people within their community on what went wrong. We used to be one big happy family where um, if a child is very bright and very brilliant in a community, the community will contribute to send that child to university. What went wrong? is not of supporting children to turn around to give children guns to kill their parents. What happened? Why did they send um, that the elders in the house and set the house ablaze? So the people we talked to were very clear that this is exactly what it want and this is the right time to engage, to sit together. And they are also suggesting that, according to the Zara tradition, it's important for them to sit around the family circle and discuss. It is important for them to discuss things right in their community, not to travel to the big towns so that they can speak freely. So within the first few months into the program, it was very clear that this is the right moment, and the people of Taranen were very much thirsty for the opportunity to dialogue. To dialogue with members of their community who brought down their, who brought down their, um, village property, who killed their loved ones. But yet still, they walk on the same footpath to go fetch water. So there was that eagerness to engage, to discuss. And right from the start, We saw um, that the people wanted to own the process. So we were very clear that we are not here to work as a typical non-governmental organization, but rather to accompany them to achieve what they want to do. And by then, what they want to do is to dialogue. So we only work with them to create a space. That is to the bonfire at night after the process, to really sit together and discuss, having the offenders come into the middle to acknowledge what they have done and ask for forgiveness. And, you know, the first few months, I was really touched by the number of requests we get all around the country asking us to go to all these places to um, facilitate this type of process. And certainly we were very much concerned that we cannot go all across. So we started in Kailali district, then moved into five district now. But the initial days, the initial few months, and year of the program, I mean, I was really very struck by the level of ownership that people are displaying in the family process. Hmm.
1: Yeah, um. Beautiful, John. This is Philip. I, I can remember um, it, what you're describing about the the importance of people being able to sit around and talk with one another. It's something that was very common prior to the war, and, it's, um, and it sounds like you've been able to leverage that same tradition by by being able to sit around a bonfire and talk about it. And I can only imagine how how traumatic it it. I, I can only imagine how traumatic it must be for people to sit around a bonfire, and to with people in the village who have committed atrocities against their loved ones. Um, those stories, I, I just, I, I just get really powerfully moved by just that prospect. Because the villages some are small and some are a little bit bigger. Um, Libby, do you do you want to talk elaborate a little bit about? about that process that John described of inviting people to sit around and talk in the village and also about how, elaborate also how the villages the, what you talked about earlier, the the tribunal that was going on did not address what had happened in the villages and how that space that John created uh, works. Lizzie, can you elaborate a little bit?
3: Sure. And I'll just tell a, a quick little story which was On one of the um, first communities that I was, uh, I was with John and the staff when they did an initial consultation um, in a community in Kailan district, and I I remember so vividly being at this. um, Everybody gathered in the the court barri, and um, you know, just immediately after John's question of, you know, do you want to reconcile and how do you want to do it, you know, one um, of the village elders hopped up and said, "This is the first time we've ever been asked what we want to do," mm. and 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 just that fact um, brought forth so much energy and engagement and excitement about the process. You know, but he went on talking about how everybody had come into their community before, saying, "Okay, this is what you should do." You know, um, and he talked about the waves of um, you know different religions coming in, Islam and Christianity, and then the colonialists and. Even the other post war transitional justice processes. And he said, this is the first time anyone's ever asked us what we want it to do. Mm. And the power, which first of all shocked me um, and reinforced how just that idea is so not the norm of the way we think um, as an international community about how to help countries, unfortunately. Um, but second of all, it, it made me realize the power of simply asking what that unleashes. In terms of the energies and the potentials that are in a community, people were so engaged by just being asked, um, and I, I think there's a there's a great lesson for us in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but one of the things that came forward, as John was describing, is that they have this um, you know tradition of of sitting around the bonfire at the end of the day, and they wanted to engage that as the vehicle for um, creating this truth telling space, um, and. One thing, just to elaborate, is that the staff um, works with the communities themselves to design and run that ceremony, and um, the community identifies members from a cross section of that community, and the Fumble Talk staff um, trains them, and then they plan it. And it takes three to four months for each community to plan their ceremony, but in that process, they are rebuilding reweaving the fabric of community. They talk together. They make decisions together um, across um, all of the different um, interest groups. And as a result, they're remitting community. And that's one of the purposes of of the Fumble Talk approach. So they plan their ceremony. And that's part of what makes, when you actually come time for the bonfire ceremony, that's part of what makes that space safe is that they mm-hmm. have... Um, created it themselves and everybody is engaged in it. Mm. Um, and so, um, and they know that they're invited, um, to come forward because they, you know, and, and told that they won't be prosecuted for it. Mm. Um, and, and they're reminded of the importance of their cultural, um, Sort of impetus to to tell the truth in front of the community and to acknowledge what you've done and apologize and forgive. Um, and I, you know, for the first fumble talk ceremonies that I witnessed, I was just astounded at um, the level of freedom that people felt coming forward and 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 telling uh and telling their stories. Um, there was a real sense that um, the community. Was there to support their individual healing, whether they were a victim or a perpetrator.
1: Mm. Beautiful, Libby. Um, Just want to acknowledge that you. you... Can I add a Uh Oh, please, John, please add a lot. Yes, because the bonfire
2: is the the beginning of the long journey to reconcile. And What makes the space very um, important to them is because they work together collectively as a community with all the committees we establish all the hundreds of volunteers to create the space. So they see it as their space. And they are able to take the opportunity to come into the space to ask for forgiveness. And that is the beginning of the long journey to forgive. Because what we see after that is there is just that urge by the offenders to help the victims rebuild their houses, to help the victims Mm. with their domestic um, work, to help communities rebuild the structures. So there is that opportunity for them to come together as one unit again. And that is the long journey which we commit ourselves to according to these communities so, to ensure that the fabric of the community is not only built but it is sustained and who is best to sustain this structure is the community themselves. That is why they own the process and they are always trying to protect their process. We are only working with them to um, help them achieve what they want to do.
1: Mm. Mm. Beautiful. It sounds like it sounds like, John, that you you and your team have played a really important role of creating the opportunity for people to engage in that process. Um, it, it, Libby, um, yes. Libby
2: who, yeah. i would also attempt to highlight the opportunities that arise beyond the bonfire, which is working together in the same community farm. Women coming together to discuss issues that relate to women. Through the Peace Mothers Program. The youth mm-hmm. coming together to play around uh, soccer. Mm-hmm. Soccer mm-hmm. for reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And also, there mm-hmm. is a peace tree that they dedicate in the mission of the community where they seek to address farm-going um, dispute. So now they are using the structures to address not only the past but also the present challenges in the community. Mm. Mm.
1: Beautiful.
3: So, just to just to just to build on that really quickly, what um, one of the ways I think you're exactly right, Philip, that what they're doing is um, is creating the space for the village to do this themselves. One of the ways that they create that space is after the ceremony, asking the villages and facilitating them in a the process of how do you want to follow up with this. Um, and the the peace tree and the football for reconciliation and the peace mothers and the farms, those are all the activities that the community members themselves um, identified as as ways they want to cement um, this uh, this unity that they have cultivated through planning and running the ceremony, and um, and carry it forward to be sustainable. Um, so so fumble talk facilitates that process of um, helping the communities. Um, uh, you know lead in their own sustainability program mm-hmm. also
1: mm-hmm. beautiful and, and, uh, and Libby you documented a lot of this on on film do you want to tell us a little bit about about the film and some of the powerful stories
3: sure yeah well um, I had been prior to, to meeting John I had been working with um, Sarah Terry who's an award-winning documentary photographer Documenting other stories of forgiveness and reconciliation in different post war African settings. And um, she was, she, and it was actually, she was the one who had, while well, she was in Sierra Leone doing um, that work, had met John and connected him to me. And so at Catalyst for Peace, we have a, an ongoing commitment to, to documenting and sharing stories of what's happening, of the extraordinary things that ordinary people are doing. Um, especially, you know, around international peace building. And so as Fumble Talk, the program, took shape, uh, we knew from the beginning that we had to be documenting it in film. And um, neither Sarah nor I had made a film before, but she um, knew folks who had and put together a film crew. And we began documenting. We we just knew that these stories would be um, amazing and that um, we had to be documenting them. So we started documenting actually... John had been in the United States on a human rights fellowship at Columbia University and uh you know when we first hatched the pl- the plot and did the initial planning for Fumble Talk and you know we filmed an interview with him before he even went back to Sierra Leone and then um began filming the process as it was unfolding frankly not knowing exactly what we would have um but it quickly became clear how powerful these stories were um and how what the global significance of them would be um and so we um fumble talk as a feature film uh was born and um you know as you mentioned in the introduction it it premiered first at south by southwest film festival a year ago um and it's been winning awards um steadily ever ever since and um you know what what it does as a film is it gives you a seat at the bonfire. You know, very few of us have the opportunity um, to travel to Sierra Leone, um, much less to participate in this kind of a really sacred process at the community level. Um, and the film crew was able to to be there um, and to and to be a presence and document that. so you can see, um, you know, stories of sar and Numa, who were young teenagers when the war came to their village and were kidnapped by the rebels and sar was you know told to kill his father and he refused and so numa was forced at gunpoint to do it himself and then to beat his best friend um until he was permanently maimed actually leaving him for dead um uh, you know forced by the rebels to do that and they had lived a mile apart since the war and never talked about it. And they come together um, and Sar tells his story and Yuma comes forward and um, apologizes for what he had done and they reconcile and, and then begin to rebuild their relationship and you see this on film. And I, I can tell you you know, hundreds of stories like that and even as powerful as they are with me telling them, um, seeing them on film is a, is a, a precious and powerful um uh
0: awakening experience and libby even the the trailer itself is powerful. I was sharing before we got on today um i, I looked at the trailer a little while ago this afternoon and, and just found myself in tears um, and I would encourage everyone to please visit uh there's a couple of places you can actually stream the film online one of those is at Netflix and the other is at a website called Epics and that's epicshd.com epicshd.com you can stream Fambl Talk at those two places, you can also buy the special version, the DVD at amazon.com or even better probably to buy it directly from Fambletalk uh, thefambletalkfilm.com um, site, and um, I just want to welcome I- anyone who has come on um, late today. We're speaking with uh, two very special people, John Cocker, calling in all the way from Sierra Leone, and Libby Hoffman of Famble Talk International and Catalyst for Peace, and just, again, strongly encouraging you to, to check out the work, the film, uh, Famble Talk and, uh, of course, the, the work on the ground that uh, they're doing in Sierra Leone. To me, it seems like a model uh, of something that, that could be used further in, in the world and an example that even in the deep devastation that um, is very hard for us to comprehend, um, not being over there, uh, that, that there is hope even in the midst of, of these types of, of, of devastation and violence. Um, so I'd like to just um, also remind people that we'll have an opportunity at, at the quarter of the hour to do live questions, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But right now, I'd just like to see, John, if you would like to share a story, um, just uh, share a story from an example of the work that you're doing and and um, then possibly also some of the lessons that uh, your work has. For, for people all over the world in other countries.
2: Yeah. Um, John? Thank you. I will share what... Yes, please. I will Would share what which took place in Kono um, during the bonfire. And the village is Tantjado, Um where We were late into the bonfire at about one in the morning when one man came into the middle and explained um, that his brother was the one who killed their elder brother. His younger brother was the one who killed their elder brother and burned down their house. And the younger brother was sitting around who never thought. His brother saw him, and he just fell down and started crying. He cried uncontrollably. Until the elders, the of committee members, um, talked to him and his brother and asked him to explain. But so this younger brother was shot by the rebels. Not knowing that, his elder, his elder was right up the hill watching. When he killed his elder brother, brought down their house, but he was fought by the rebels. He was a child soldier by then, very young. So at the end of the war, he came back to his village. This, after we talked to him later, he said he came back because he wanted to show rebels, he wanted to do something for his family. He stayed with his brother in the same house, and they're working on the same farm but he never talked about this event. So the elder brother, when he was explaining at the bonfire, said, on a couple of occasions, he was tempted to poison this younger brother, because they are his half-brother, because he killed his brother during the war, and he shot him. So he said he wanted to do that on a couple of occasions, but now that we were having the bonfire, he wanted to explain this so that they would address the issue as a family, as a community. And I was just totally shocked that you can live in the house with your younger brother, your half-brother, for over two to three years after the war. You knew what he did, and the younger brother knew what he had done. They never talked about it. While the elder brother was planning to even point in his own half-brother, they never thought about it, until they had the opportunity to speak in this bonfire. I think to me, that is one story that stood out. But we have hundreds of such stories, because we are now working in about 150 sections across the country. And that is just one story. Um, I don't know if I have time to explain a couple of others, but I'll just stop so far for time.
0: Hmm... Philip, do you have a, another question that you'd like to ask?
1: Uh, well, yeah, I, I, just, I, I just, I just, I just want to acknowledge, first of all, how traumatic it must be for people to live in a village and not be able to talk about, talk about you know, the, the killings that would have happened, and just the space that John, that you and your team created um, for people um, to feel safe. And, and John, we actually have a question from Jim Sherry, who is, um, who is a lawyer in, um, up in Sonoma County here in California. And Jim, Jim's got a, a question for you, John. Is how, how did you, how did you get, how did you allow the judicial system to agree that it was, um, okay for people in the community circle to keep things confidential and that people would not be prosecuted. How, how did you arrange it so that the bonfire ceremony would be a safe space so that perpetrators would not be prosecuted?
2: Yes, thank you very much. Um, at the end of the war, um, there was an agreement which provided um, a blanket amnesty and the special court was created to try those who bear the greatest responsibility. And the special court indicted about 14, and um, 10 people have been convicted. So, in the in Sierra Leone, those who are not indicted by the court, it, but, I mean, it implies have blanket amnesty. Um, so, it is within that system that people could come forward, acknowledge what they have done and ask for forgiveness, knowing that they've all got blanket amnesty. But it is also important to note that in the eyes of the community people, they are not only looking at blanket amnesty, they are looking at the family process as a system of justice within their community, the naming and shaming of family members. And beyond that, it's also the collective responsibility of the family, of the community, to support victims, for so victims and the perpetrators or offenders not to shoulder the burden alone, but the community works with them, they help them shoulder the burden, you know, after acknowledging what they have done. So in principle it's more because they are the blanket Amnesty, and beyond that, the community people see it as their own way of interpreting sort of, of finding justice, because to them, people who come forward to acknowledge to all these serious crimes, by coming forward in the front of hundreds of all the people in the community, to acknowledge what they have done is a huge form of punishment. And for them to live with that, to offer their services in the community, is some amount of justice, by their own definition.
1: Mm. beautiful um wow um hmm. um I, I just want to pick up on this one of our one of our people um calling in would ask us just to summarize the story that you said um that uh the story you told was that there was a younger half brother um had killed uh, the father, and then they never spoke about it for, two years. for two years, two years. And that the older half brother thought the older brother was thinking about killing his younger brother, but finally forgave him. I mean, that that's just a level of intricate justice work that is just just incredibly powerful. Um, uh, Libby, um, can can you can you tell us of of a story that just really powerfully moved you in the documentary that you created?
3: Sure, one of <clears throat> one of the most moving. For me was um, in a village called Dabu, which had been a rebel stronghold in the war and um, this was a situation where the rebels um, uh, when when they came um, on this particular day, uh, this one woman and her family escaped except their youngest child, who was seven years old, um, a daughter. And the rebels captured her and tied her up and beat her, wanting her to tell them where their food was um, was hidden because they had in fact buried it, um, and to, to keep the rebels from from uh, stealing it. And um, they ended up beating her to death. And this uh, the mother uh, and the person responsible for ki- killing the child lived literally next door to each other in this village, which is a tiny village. I mean, um, you could throw a stone from one side of it to another, um, and these houses gathered around in a circle, um, and they lived next door to each other and had never spoken about what had happened. And one of the things that struck me about this um, story was that this bonfire, first of all, it was the perpetrator um, who came forward, um, and he was so desiring to... Um, to get this off of his chest um, and to then be able to move forward as a constructive, you know, contributing member of the community. He's the one that came forward and talked about what he had done and and admitted it, and then they called um, forward the the mother who immediately came forward and and forgave him. And he, um, in in interviews with them afterwards, um, you know, she made clear how, um first of all she had been bear- she illuminated an aspect of justice that i found really powerful which is that she talked about how she had been bearing the burden of her daughter's death all on her own shoulders and she um her hands were literally at her shoulders and and then she talked about how now with um you know this testimony having happened in front of the community, the whole community was bearing this burden with her, and you know that doesn't bring back the daughter, but it um, lifts her burden and restores her dignity um in ways and and she spoke about how you know they were going to go forward now as a community um, and develop t- together because of this commitment and this young man has since You know, he now calls her ma, she thinks of him as his son, he's committed to helping her in any ways that he can, Um, you know, replacing uh, the labor, essentially, of the daughter that was lost, you know, so helping carry water, helping to farm, working on the house in any ways that he can. Um, And meanwhile, it's so clear that the community has sort of signed on as supports, not only for her um, in her grief and loss, but for him. Um You know, in supporting him moving into constructive ways of contributing to the to the community. Um, but there's so many things that I love about that story, and I just find it particularly moving. It, one other thing that it illustrates, you know this this woman and this man if if there had been a town meeting and she had heard that he was going, she wouldn't go. Um, and uh, that is a common pattern. In these um you know rural villages that are so divided by what happened in the war, and it illustrates the ways in which um the community divisions get perpetuated in lots of invisible ways, but it's like this it's this power that keeps the villages in stagnation you know and so now once those divisions are are lifted off and those wounds are are um are tended to the community itself can function much more fully, and it yeah. has. Um they're working together on a community farm and have had record harvests as a result. Um, and you know are able to and they're rebuilding their community center that was burned down in the war. Um, and so they're taking these tangible steps forward in development because they can work together now.
0: Libby, it seems like that that hits a very core principle of the of the broader transformation that we may be in right now um in in global justice and, and per perhaps in our western justice system in particular and i'm wondering um if if you might speak a little bit to how you might see um, sierra leone and and i know of course um also in rwanda some of the the same practice uh, similar practices actually which um the two of you probably are even more versed than I am in certainly uh, of um, the gachacha courts and um, same principles of of bringing uh the the perpetrator and the victim together to harvest the fields and to rebuild the homes and um how do we how do we do that here in America? Do you have any thoughts on that, either Libby or John? well, I can um
3: I can start with uh, a comment and a story and for me just the comment that I there's a concept of justice um, that that I see at work in Sierra Leone and that my work there has really taught me um, in a very uh, lived way that their concept of justice isn't about um, punishing and separating off the perpetrator um, to them, justice, first of all, an injustice doesn't just harm the, the victim. It, h- it hurts the whole community. Um, and their sense of justice is that you need to make the community whole again. Mm-hmm. And that means you need both a victim and the perpetrator um, for the community to be whole. I find this concept of justice to be... Um, so inspiring and also deeply challenging and engaging, and I think I don't have a um, a vision for what that would look like manifest in the United States, but I I, I do think that it, it's we have to take Sierra Leone's example and look at its implications for our culture and context. -hmm. And and ask what can we learn from it, and what would what would we look at? So as much as anything, I think having those conversations, using that example and those stories um, to examine our own culture. To me, that's what needs to happen next, Mm. Um, because it is possible. It is being lived in powerful and transformative ways. So I think to say that it's not possible, um, you know, after you see these stories and this example in Sierra Leone, um, I, I I just I don't think that's accurate. Um, one, I, I gave a presentation on Fumble Talk to a group of middle schoolers in Philadelphia um, and didn't think all that much about it but found out a couple weeks later they had been out on a field trip and um, things had gotten out of hand and one student had ended up hitting another student and the students themselves decided instead of sending the scroll off to the teacher what they wanted to do was to sit down in a circle under a tree and talk it through themselves which they did and one little boy raised his hand at the end and said, hey, we just had our own fumble talk. Now, Libby, is
0: that, that the tree that's designated for these kinds of things? I'm just um, curious to know if there's a specific marker for a spot where initiations can happen like this, of, of going into it more deeply. In
3: the Sierra Leonean context, you mean? Or um, is that part of fumble talk? Is that what you're asking?
0: Or is that in, in
3: this in the situation of well, these middle schoolers.
0: And thinking I mean, about the process of, of, of how things are initiated, I know, of course, the, the bonfire has great relevance. Um, but is there baronial. another place like a tree in or, or uh, some other place where it's known that you can go there if you have a conflict and want to um, move move forward with it?
3: yeah in in um in this particular instance, they stumbled into it because they just happened to be out on a field trip in a place where there were trees. Um, uh-huh. And then their teachers um, started off class the next day, sitting everybody in a circle in their classroom. So that became their spot was the circle in the classroom. And they decided to have their own classroom fumble talk. Um, to address ongoing issues of bullying and disrespect and dysfunction that they had had. And it ended up being this incredibly transformational um, experience. So I, I, the need to create a safe space, um, you know, in the same way that the staff has meticulously done that in Sierra Leone, to me that would be a critical piece of any broader application, what makes a safe space. Um, mm. And it, it, you know, in the Sierra Leone context, it's a, it's a, it's not a, an imposing building with pillars out in front and people in fancy costumes right. presiding in the front of, you know, rows of hard wooden chairs. Um, you know, right. it's a safe space that everybody can have access to, um, that doesn't require money or travel or, mm. um, you know, any special circumstances. So for these students, then later on, it became their classroom, in a circle with ground rules of confidentiality um, uh that had been established by the teachers um, different contexts i think would yield different um, specifics but um, something that is accessible and safe um, mm-hmm. uh, you know is Are there... critical to to make that space
0: and that's another key theme we've seen this week that you're highlighting right now. Exactly is how do we create that space that's accessible and real and authentic and, and placing a marker um, for it, it to be there for everyone and known too. We had that that with Dominic yesterday and a bit with Arun on Monday. Um, I just I would like to pause here for just a moment and and spell out the website for everyone. Um, just so that we know where we're going on the web to find the movie and more information about this profound work. And that's fambletalk.org, which is F-A-M-B-U-L-T-O-K dot O-R-G. Fambletalk means family talk. And uh, really encouraging everyone to visit the website. I, I would like to And Molly, to just encourage... let me just insert real quickly
3: that that's the program's sure. website, and the um, and there are links back and forth.
0: But the film's website is the same thing, but .com. Great. Talk. Com. That. Mm-hmm. And just uh, just also wanting to encourage anyone that would like to ask a question that's calling in live or through Skype to so press star two on your telephone keypad. Um, it looks like we have someone with a question. Uh, welcome, Andrew, you are
1: live. Yeah, hi, greetings. Um, I did submit my question, but I'll ask it live. Um, thank you all for your work, and I think there's so much we can we can all learn from you. Um, I just want to be clear here. Here in the U.S., which is where I'm at, where our criminal, criminal justice system involves locking people up in punishment, etc., And I just want to be clear, in this process of truth and reconciliation, once a perpetrator has admitted to, confessed to and their crimes and asked for forgiveness, is is any other form of justice done as far as punishment or sanctions to the person, or or does life go on and and we heal from there? We, 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 We have a tough time, I think, understanding
3: that here in the U.S. John, I'll let you respond.
2: Um, the punishment itself is by coming into the middle to acknowledge what they have done and you may want to know that in Sierra Leone you have a very strong sense of family dignity community dignity and for you to come into the middle, you are not only coming as an individual. You are coming with the family, with, with your family and the community as a whole to acknowledge what you have done. That itself is some form of punishment. But the formal talk process itself does not administer any punishment. But what we encourage is the offenders can participate actively in the follow-up activities. That is can um, kind of help the offenders can help the communities in um, other activities like the community farm or the community development programs and just to show that remote. That is part of the process which we look at mm. as justice within the family program. Mm. Mm. It's
0: wonderful. Thank Molly you I, so I think.
1: Philip, do you have a have something there? I just it just John what John just described reminds me of what A. T. Arianti in Sri Lanka says, that when he brings people from different factions together, they will do a project together, like build a road. He said, They do not build the road, but the road builds them. And it sounds like the community work that people do after the bonfire helps reweave the, the community back together.
0: The, Amen, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and provides the individual an understanding of their interconnection again, perhaps, reweaving mm-hmm. that interconnection which uh seems to be again one of those very deep themes um throughout this week and um, the overlying sense of, of what justice may really mean in, in regaining our sense of interconnection as a world community, as a part of a, a really beautiful whole. Um I'd like I'd like to just um I know we're 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 just running out of time here shortly but I'd like to field another question from the web and then maybe one more from the um from the the callers today. Um let's see here. The, someone from the webcast uh, Lynn asks if there are any plans or has the film been introduced to or within any context within the aspect um any portion of the criminal justice system here in the United States um we have we've had um
3: different uh organizations and individuals screen it um for example, there's a woman who does prison education in Washington state who um used the film as part of her prisoner education um program there. Um, and and there have been other examples of that here. Uh, I, I mean, you know, in 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 other ways, um, it's um, it's not something. Uh, I mean, it's it's something that we would love to encourage more of, and um, so uh, you know, are are really eager to help uh, make those connections and promote awareness of the film and. Of the opportunity for the for the conversations that watching it can can spark.
2: Mm,
0: great. And just uh, want to go ahead and field one more caller. Um, looks like uh, Mike. Mike, I'll go ahead and unmute your your mic. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> You're live. <laughs> thank, thank you.
1: I, it's more just a comment. Is um, listening to this and. In the, in the United States, and I'm—I guess what it is—I listen to these people that have figured out a way to work beyond that kind of terror and horror. And but when I come up to a situation which seems to me maybe to be serious, and it's really not that—it's pretty minor compared to that—I can list, remind myself: look, people in the world can figure out how to get beyond this stuff. So maybe just listening to this, it's it, in a personal sense, gives me something to anchor on. Thank you. Mm, great. Thank you,
0: Mike. Thank you. It, if ahead, I Eddie. can just jump in. I,
3: yeah, just one of the, you know, we get um, comments, my favorite comments from um, viewers who've watched the film, from audience members, are things like, wow, um, you know, I'm having a real conflict with one of my colleagues at work. And... Now I'm inspired to, um, you know, either to not let it upset me or, um, to apologize to them or to forgive them for something that they've done. My gosh, if somebody can forgive somebody who's murdered members of their family, I need to forgive this woman who has, you know, done this to me at work, um, or, you know, whatever the situation may be. So, um, I, you know, I, I do think these, um, I love those kinds of, comments and stories and, and examples, um, you know, that, that seeing how other people can move past such horrific deeds inspires us to, to ask those questions of ourselves, you know, who do we need to apologize to, or who do we need to forgive, or what mm. what do we need to put in a little bigger perspective? It, I, well, it, those
0: are powerful opportunities for self-examination. Very much so. Well, we're at the top of the hour here and moving into our few closing comments here. And I just would like to thank you again, John Cocker. Thank you so much for all the work you do in Sierra Leone and beyond and for for dialing in today. And also to acknowledge Philip. Um, Philip has a book called God and Conflict that I just want to acknowledge and honor, um, which includes many stories of his Peace Corps service in Sierra Leone. And Libby, of course, um, to you for everything that you are doing with Assemble Talk and with Catalyst for Peace and over so many years of your life. And just inviting each of you, um, Libby, Philip, and John, uh, for final comments from what we've shared together today and, and perhaps how we might um, take it into our lives, uh, a practice or, or, or anything you'd like to share in closing today. John, would you like to start?
2: Okay, um, I will start by commenting on the importance of the safe space. Some work has succeeded because the, the space we create is a real safe space created by the people themselves. And I think that is the bottom line. For people to feel secure to discuss, to say things that have been affecting them for years. I think that is important. And that, to me, is a lesson we should learn within the Human Rights Committee and Development Practitioners, that it's important to consult people. It's important to create an atmosphere where people can speak up freely and allow Mm. ourselves to respond to their needs. That is the lesson I'd like to share with everyone. And I want to thank the people I'm working with the team, the volunteers, for allowing me to be a part of the family talk team in general. And I feel really good to be part of this great work.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, John. And Libby, go ahead. Well, I guess I
3: would share something on maybe a little more personal level. I just, um, I walked by the movie theater around the corner from my office yesterday, and there's a new movie that I can't wait to see that I had never heard of before called The Intouchables. Um, But the tagline on it is what gripped me. And the tagline was, sometimes you have to reach into someone else's world to find what's missing in your own. And I have to say, for me, the joy and the challenge of working with Fumble Talk Um, has been the discovery of this incredible, rich understanding and lived understanding of community. Community as this power, really, that supports individual healing. And um, it's made me so much more aware of the ways in which that has been missing from my culture and my experience And I think it's one of the things that most impels me to continue working with Fumble Talk and to want to share the stories is because I want to experience the richness of that directly myself. And I'm hoping that um, as we help to grow these stories and processes in Sierra Leone and we grow the ways we're sharing them and learning from them, then that can help support you know my own culture and my community and my life um, to to include this incredibly uh, just a richer understanding and demonstration of of community. So it's um, you know to me that's both sort of my inspiration and my and my hope <laughs> um, mm. and uh, and I, I just I really am excited about um, what can what will be possible as we grow. In in those
0: capacities,
2: mm.
0: beautiful, mm. Philip.
1: Yeah, I, I want to pick up right where Libby. Stood. I I just want to acknowledge John Calker, also Libby, and the people of Chilone. Chilone has been one of the most profound teachers in my life, and it, and what Libby is just talking about community and the power of community. And I think the lessons from Sierra Leone um, are ones that the world can benefit. I really appreciate the fact that Libby's created a documentary that shows Sierra Leone in a different context um, than what the mainstream media might or just across Africa. There, There is such power, resilience, and beauty in the people of Sierra Leone and the way John has been able to leverage that power and beauty in, in, in the reweaving of communities, I think, is something the world in large can learn from. Um, I also also just want to acknowledge that, you know, conflict is something that is endemic around the world, that we're all learning how to deal with it. Um, and that also, um, you know, the, the conflicts also just acknowledge the fact that um, the world is dramatically interconnected and that the war in Sierra Leone was. Was connected to the mm-hmm. global economy, um, blood diamonds, timber trade, and everything else. So, so to me, it's, it's also to acknowledge that it's not only learning about how Sierra Leone's risen, risen down a difficult situation, but that we're also, every choice we make in the world, we're connected not only to the people of Sierra Leone, but the rest of the world. And that mm-hmm. there's a broader context of peace building that really needs to be examined that includes the justice of what's being learned from Sierra Leone, as well as lifestyle choices and also. And also, um, moving away from, um, uh, moving away from media that in, encourages violence. Because one thing I had mentioned earlier, but the, um, one of the villages I lived in was backed by a boy tra- trained by watching Rambo movies. And so, um, when Libby mentioned about the film coming out, The Untouchables, I think that's, I haven't seen it, but also just to be aware of that the choices we make, just even the films we watch, are impacting people around the world. So it, that's quite a bit um just to to wrap up, but just coming back, I just really want to thank John for the way that he's authentically worked with Sierra Leone's power and Beauty to help reweave the reweave the communities and also um Libby for telling those stories
0: mm-hmm. so that's a
1: long winded summary, Molly, and I'm thank passionate you so about so Leone so yeah
0: uh um, thank you so much for sharing that depth of of your experience and the insights from it um And I just want to, again, thank you all for being in this circle today from wherever you're calling in from or webcasting in from around the world. We are connected. We know this deeply. And these opportunities to connect in this way help us to then bring it into our lives on the ground. And I just want to acknowledge, again, the SHIFT Network, Jeffrey Kine and Michelle and Philip and everybody at the SHIFT Network for bringing this beautiful summit to us for free. Um, Tomorrow, please join me as I host Kenny Johnson, who is a former inmate and who has authored an incredible book called The Last Hustle, and he has a lot of deep insights about the spiritual aspect of his experiences of freedom, even within prison and within some of the darkest prisons that America has And I just want to acknowledge Kenny and invite you to join us same place here tomorrow at uh, 12 um, Pacific Time. And thank you so much again, Libby and John and Philip, And have a wonderful rest of your day, everyone. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Molly.